bit about uh, Paul as he writes to the Ephesians. And uh, as I always sort of say when we talk about Paul, he's in prison. He spends a lot of time in prison. Um, And uh, he's facing death. He's basically going to have his head cut off. He spent a lot of time serving God. He spent a lot of time uh, following Jesus. And he's, he's come from a place of religious passion where, uh, I think we talked about last week, he, he, had a, he had a very promising career as a religious professional. And uh, he could have been fast-tracked, and he probably was fast-tracked, into something that would be very attractive to a career-driven person in his day. He had been educated under Gamaliel at the university, and, and he, he was, a, he was a, a bright young star. And he'd been entrusted uh, with the persecution of Christians because they were claiming that God was doing something, that Jesus was Messiah, and the Jews knew that the Messiah hadn't come yet. And so Paul went around, uh, Saul went around persecuting the, the Christians. And he was the one, as we know, uh, who in the Acts, uh, he, he was the one who, who watched as Stephen was killed. Stephen was the first martyr in Christendom after Jesus. And he, he gave approval to, to Stephen's death. And the early Christian church was full of violence. It was full of, um, if you believe this, you might have to die for it. And Saul... Uh, basically was pursuing that and he was on his road, the road to Damascus to, to continue to persecute Christians and root them out and put them in prison, families, young people, old people. And God met him on the road to Damascus in a very famous encounter where he falls on the ground and a light shines and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, everything he knew in his head went crashing to the ground as the living God met with him. And when he came face to face with the living God, he was struck blind and he had to spend three days just reflecting in darkness what had happened. And in those three days, God sent a man named Ananias who was a Christian and he was told to go and lay hands on Saul. And he said, what do you mean? I I don't want to do that. I'm terrified. Saul is dangerous. Saul had a reputation of, of vicious brutality to Christians, and he said, "Go, he's, he's, he's chosen by me. Go and lay hands on him and tell him that I'm going to use him. And so Ananias goes and he lands, lays hands on Saul, and Saul begins to see again. And so begins the, 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 the journey of Paul. From his passion for God was just sincerely, deeply misguided. And as he began to see who God was and this Jesus was perhaps the Messiah after all, his passion went that route. It wasn't that he didn't want to follow God, it just was he got it wrong. And then he spent the next 15, 20 years, he spent 15 years almost in isolation in Tarsus and in a region where God was developing his character, developing understanding of what Jesus was about because he was going to use Saul, uh, Paul to write down the meaning of Jesus' life, death and resurrection which is half of our New Testament now. Um, and that was based upon 
an experience, an encounter with God. And then Paul, when he went around teaching, when he was in Ephesus, for instance, uh, it was said he, he taught for two years and he also did remarkable miracles. So he didn't just teach, he actually demonstrated the presence and power of God. And many came to know Jesus because of that. And so Saul is writing in this prison, and he's writing to encourage these Ephesians and the churches around Ephesus and around that region, because they were young churches, like this maybe. You know, it was a bunch of people who need to be encouraged and believe that there was something more for them. And instead of telling them about his hardships in prison, uh, Paul, one of the things Paul demonstrated, he had said in other letters, he said, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. And he, di- he displayed that in the way he wrote his letters. Because he didn't write, very, he, he very seldom complained. He just said, I, I'm writing to encourage you. I'm writing because I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm writing because I'm concerned about what I'm hearing about you. But he's always writing to build them up and to, to teach them. He's not writing to set, tell them to please feel sorry for me because I'm being persecuted for you. Um, and so he... In chapter 2, he starts talking about uh, the state of our condition before Jesus. And uh, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Uh, What the heck does that mean? It just means that uh, we were dead. And what does death mean? Death means you're not alive. If somebody doesn't pay attention to you, they treat you as if you are dead or you might as well be dead because they don't know you're alive. Do you know what I mean? There are people who live down the next street that don't even know you exist. You might as well be dead to them. The closest I could come to try and explain this maybe was uh, thinking about, uh, we've been, we, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, the, the growth of sex trafficking that's going through Asia, through North America, where these girls are captured at a young age, put into drugs and, and become prostitutes and, and, and sort of uh, draw in income for people who, who uh, utilize, use them for their own ends. Another example are the child soldiers in, in, in Africa and probably in other parts of the world where these kids, they raid villages and these kids are taken prisoner at four, five, six years old, and they're, con- they're brought into camps and they're given drugs and they're conditioned to begin to kill and to use guns and weapons of destruction and do terrible, terrible things um, at that very young age. Now imagine those, those kids or those girls, they grow up into their teens and they eventually become so hardened that this is what they do. And what is happening is that they're dying. And what they were meant to be and what they have become are two different things. The people like the Lord's Army in Uganda who take rape and pillage and and hijack these kids, kidnap these kids into his army, they become kids who have become brutalized and they become uh, men and women who are very different from what they were meant to be. 
because they've been taken hold of by somebody who doesn't have their interests at heart, they have somebody their own interests at heart, their own agenda. Are you following me? Now, wind that back and, and pretend that that happened generations ago. And you have these kids becoming soldiers and prostitutes and becoming parents and soldiers and prostitutes. It's not too long, many generations, where you have lost touch with what you were ever meant to be. And what Paul is saying is that uh, that's what happened in, this, in the world in which we live. We live in a world where there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom that actually is of this world and there's a kingdom that is of God. And for many, many people in Canada right now, there is no kingdom of God. That is a joke. That's naive. Part of it is because the Christians have been such a poor witness of anything that nobody would want to believe God could be possibly like that. So we've got to own some stuff. Because many times we, we offered religion and people didn't respond to religion. So I'm not blaming people. I'm just declaring something. And God hates religion too, so I don't think he's in half the churches either because he doesn't need to be. You have the kingdom of this world which is... is Human beings looking for meaning themselves. Paul talks about there being a kingdom. He says, uh, you used to live where you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I mean, what does it feel like to understand that we are, um, we want to be in control? But we're either actually serving the kingdom of the air or we're serving the kingdom of God. And we're not actually, there is no neutrality. The kingdom of the air is evil and evil's, the personification of evil is self. So when evil presents itself, he never presents himself as this demon with you know, horns and I'm a demon. He just quietly presents himself as self-interest. He quietly presents himself as nobody else is going to take care of you, you better take care of yourself. There is no God, this is it. Paul calls it the prince of the air. And I was saying this morning, what would it be like to be introduced as the prince of the air? Where is your kingdom, O oh, great prince? It's the prince of the air. What is that? Nothing. The air is the space between stuff. You see, evil is very deluded. Evil loves titles, but it doesn't necessarily have to have substance. He's the prince of darkness. You can proclaim yourself as the prince of the air and the prince of darkness. Well, it's better than nothing. But nothing can grow in darkness and nothing exists in air. Because ultimately Satan is nothing. There's no creativity in evil. There's no substance in evil. Evil is, is like a pimp with a prostitute or like a, a soldier with a child soldier. 
It lives on other things for its own good. And so, Paul says, uh, you were dead in your transgressions. Now, I'm a child soldier, and I've never known anything else. This seems to be my life. When Paul's saying, you are dead. You are dead. You have no hope. You have no life. You are, you are a prisoner to this one who captures you. To the child soldier, if you've read some of the books, there's an Ethiopian one that I read, where you go, unless I'm rescued, I have no hope. And you become numb, and you become unable to imagine anything beyond where you are. So if you're... When I went to Cape Town last December... It was like I was resurrected because I haven't been there for 17 years. So I was dead to Cape Town for 17 years. And then you go back into it and it's like you've just risen from the dead. You meet some people you haven't seen for years. So it was like you were dead and then you come alive. And so Paul is trying to say when we, when, when we lived in this world as if there was no God, it was as if we were dead. Am I losing you? If you can't hear, and I can't hear God, I don't know God, I don't know what He thinks, I don't know who He is, and he, he might as well be dead and I'm dead. I remember reading this as a teenager, and it was a revelation to me. Um, I'll tell you why. Because if you're dead... You have no life in you. And if you're dead and you have no life in you, you can't respond. And if you can't respond, you are totally at the mercy of whoever's carrying your corpse. And what Paul is saying is, God so loved you that when you were like a corpse to him, he came and touched you. And even the corpse he can speak to because the Spirit lives in that corpse and he calls that to life. And he raises it up and he says, now come to life. That's what grace is. You see, we tr many people try to earn their way to God. They try to say, well, I've got to do this and do that and religion gets you to do this and do that. And God's, there's not, a dead corpse can't earn its way anywhere. Grace is about a God who comes to dead corpses and resurrects them. When Jesus came into the world, he was the first living human being filled with God's Spirit on earth. And he came to say, your generations ago were captured by a, a violent and a, a ruthless soldier. And you have been in the children's army for 20 generations. You have no memory of freedom. And when Jesus came into this world, he said, I have come to set you free from the oppressed one, the one who oppresses and the one who steals and destroys. Many, many human beings live life like survivors. 
And they take Christian teaching like uh, God gives you a cross to bear. God helps those who help themselves. They're not in the Scriptures. They're not in the Bible. They're rubbish. God comes to people who can't help themselves and He brings them to life. And as He brings them to life, He begins to say, now let me show you how I, what I created you to be in the first place. And, and does, does that make sense to you? You see, if it makes sense to you, it's all about a God who does things that you can't do for yourself. So I'm going to illustrate this, and this is the part that you've... Some of you have seen this before, but um, I'm going to do it anyway because I think it explains it. So you've seen this guy before. Um, his name is Chips. And I'm, and I'm telling you... I'm tell, I'll put him up here for a while because uh, it's more comfortable and you can see him. He's a little... All right, his name is Chips. I got him in Piccadilly Circus in London in 1980. He, is, uh, he was hanging in a toy shop. He is basically some material sewn together. He has um, been with me. Uh, I, I rem- I, there's a reason why I'm telling you this. I stood in one Easter, I was talking about the resurrection, and I used him as an illustration. And I stood with him and had a thousand people in, in Cape Town absolutely silent. I'll never forget it, because sometimes when God's sort of working, it's like an out-of-body experience. You kind of watch, you go, my word, what's happening here? Because <laughs> I was talking about what I'm talking about now, actually, in another way. And, and he was part of that. And... Uh, helped communicate God's love. A few, about eight years ago now, I went, to, uh, I went to Germany and I was invited. It's a long story, but I used him to speak to a group of 15 of the senior, well, they were the leadership of Lufthansa Skysheds, world leaders. And I did a workshop on personality and stuff uh, because I have a friend who, who God, God was all over this in terms of pulling me out of the wilderness. Um, but all I'm saying is this ball of fluff really um, communicated to some very, very high executive people in the business world. And there's a reason for that, and I'm going to illustrate the reason in a minute. You see, Paul says, Chips, you're dead. And you go, why? Come here. He can't hear me. His ability right now is to go wherever I put him. And his ability is to sit there and say nothing, do nothing. And he basically is a prisoner to the one who is the prince of the air. In other words, he goes wherever I take him, pretending I'm the prince of the air. His concerns are about how does he get his clothes, how does he get work, whatever he does, but he's not, he is this. And one day Jesus came to a man called Nicodemus and he said to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was a religious guy, he was a Pharisee. And he said, you know, 
If you read between the lines, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was a devout Jew. And he said, you know, when you speak, Jesus, something comes alive in me that I've never experienced before. There's something in you that I sense is, a, is, a, is God in a way that I've never known. And I, the incredible thing about Nicodemus is he, was, he had the desperation and honesty to ask. So he comes in the middle of the darkness in Jerusalem and he comes in to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, um, what I have, you can have in essence, but you have to be born again. And that confuses Nicodemus because he's intellectual and he goes, I can't be born again. I've already been born. I know who my mother is. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about that kind of birth. You see, you were born into the identity of a child soldier. You were born into a culture and a paradigm where the Spirit of God was not free. You were like born into death. You were born into a way of living that I... Jesus and God regard as death. You don't resemble what I created you to be. And Nicodemus was really very bewildered by this. And so Jesus says, you need to be born again. Let's pretend he's here now and say, so what does that mean? He says, well, what happens when you're born? Well, when you're born, you bring nothing with you. So, excuse this, but this guy is going to now become like he's born. And he's not attractive, he's, but he's used to being, he's used to, he used to being publicly humiliated for a bigger cause. And so, he goes, now what? <laughs> Thank you. And Jesus goes, Born again means that you give me back your life. Because there comes a point where pretty much every human being goes, this isn't really working. See, human beings are created for God's love. And without the Spirit, they look for it in work, in people, in whatever tangible ways you look for it. And so Jesus begins to say, if you let me, I will show you. Because Paul says that when we were dead, God made us alive. This is how he makes us alive. He picks up the corpse. And the corpse has then, it's still got some life in it. This is the bizarre contradiction. The corpse can say, help. And when God picks up the corpse, he says, you need to be born again. And that means I need to ask you to let go of the control of your life. We call it in the Christian terminology, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to come into my heart and make me new. And God's response to that is, I want to make you new, but you need to let me take hold of you. And so what he does when you go to the cross, and Jesus went to the cross for our sin, he starts taking out the stuff inside. The stuff inside is everything we've relied on. It might be our work, it might be our family, it might be anything you like. You can call it anything you like. can become something that separates us from God. And he just says, I want you to give me everything that you're aware of. And it's 
can be brutal surgery. But you see, there's no other way. And, and so, so Chips ends up, that's him. Without his stuff, and when he's given everything to God, he's, he's still a corpse. He's a bag, a rag bag. And in fact, most people, if you ask them to talk about themselves, they will describe themselves as rag bags. Some people call it humility. They say, oh, I'm nothing really special. Oh, I'm nothing. Or I hate the way I look. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too big. I'm too small. I'm too black. I'm too white. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. We look at the rag bag and we just go, it's never enough. It's never enough. And what looks beautiful today in the next decade is looking like it's not working. And God takes hold and says, just come put this on for me, please. Sure. You don't. Pay attention. You got the right way around. I think you got them the wrong way around. He's, he's in agony. It's like help. So suddenly he becomes a character all on his own. And God took the corpse that was dead and made it alive. And he who is full of nothing becomes someone. And he never saw that he was created to be like this. He had never seen another one like this. He had, he had never seen what was possible because nobody had ever shown him. And so... He can't stop kissing me because he was dead and he's alive. A Christian is somebody in whom God has given life and it is by grace that they have been given that life. They don't deserve it. And they become transformed. So that what God asks for Chips to do is accomplished by God working in Chips, not Chips trying to work on his own. See, a religious Chips is that. He's now just a spiritual talking head. But there's no real life to him. Unless God comes on the inside and takes what is dead and makes it alive. Does that make sense? So, the good news for you and me is all we have to do is say yes. All we have to do is stay close. Because when, when Chip stays close to me, I can, I can make him look alive. 
to the degree that you almost don't see me. And when God lives in you, he will make you look alive and he never wants the center of attention. He just says, I will make you look alive. Can you tell the difference between chips with life in him and chips without? Is it very complicated? So do you think they might be as simple when Jesus said, by their fruit, by their love, they shall know they are my disciples? It's not difficult to see. God's love working in you. Just put this back on again and then we're just going to do one more thing. Because it's so simple, but this is what the core of Christianity is. Christianity is just rag bags with the love of God inside them. That's what he is. That's what it is. It's by grace. Grace means that you don't deserve it. Left to your own resources, your sponge and, and rag bags. And God loves you. And so his heart is about how can I draw you into this place where you and I can actually walk through life together. Now, Chips, um, he's been with me for, as I said, since 1980. And it's just been him and me and the corner of the room. But we went to the Craig Street Market and Chips is in for a surprise. Cheryl, come and help me. Because... Keep it back. Keep it back to you. Okay. So just put it on. the arms on my shoulder there. Click them together and put them on. And then to put the right round. Now you're twisting them up again. Ooh, Cheryl. Stop it. Cheryl. Are you? No, just there you go. There you go. Oh, okay, so <laughs> she was hanging around the Craig Street Market, and I thought, you know, poor old Chips. Now, Chips, what's wrong with you? Doesn't trust me. I said, I bought you a special present. Yeah. Anyway, we won't go on. I'm not very good. Um, leave it. Do you want to do that? All right. There you go. Um, these two, anyway, are now going to uh, be joined together. Let all who John brings together not be cast asunder. Um, God has a. There are many of us who have cries of our hearts. God loves Chips. And Chips says, I'm lonely. God, why don't you give me somebody? Now this could be anything at all. And God says, I, I would love to. 
but I can't give a corpse anything. And so unless you let me live in you, it's very hard for me because I don't want to give her to you because you're going to damage her. And I love her. So it's only as you really let me live in you that I can actually release my favor over you. There are many things that God wants to release over you that are entirely dependent upon you trusting Him with you. Does that make sense? Because he says, Jesus used to say, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Because this is how he lived. I and the Father are one. The Father lives in me and I live in the Father. It's called relationship. Religion is when you try and do this in your own strength. And it becomes ugly, it becomes legalistic, it becomes dictatorial, and it becomes very unimpressive. And so I believe all God is wanting to remind us of us, us of this evening is that we were corpses and that he makes us alive. And that with him, anything is possible. If a piece of rag can take on a personality, there's hope for you. <laughs> And if he can use these little things on my arms to make a point, then how much more can he use you and me? So that's it. And that's why Paul, after in the second part of this Ephesians chapter 2, he says, God breaks dividing walls between the Gentiles and the Jews. He says, when my spirit is in both of you, you will come together. Because I bring things... You see, when you're not close to God... Differences are magnified and they become your status symbol. When you are close to God, many of those status symbols are irrelevant because it's your sons and daughter of the living God and grace that brings you together and everything else doesn't really matter. So tonight be encouraged, you know, that God's saying to some of us tonight, He said, there's dead stuff in you that I just ask you to give me so that I can live in you. The reason why you're not seeing more happen in your life is because you won't let go of the sponges. And He will show you what they are. And when He does, He doesn't do it angrily. He just says, give it to me. Because it's getting in the way. Are you alive? Or are you a corpse? Some corpses protest that they are alive too. It's by your fruit. Let's stand and ask God to do what He does. And you too can play. I'm not sure yet. Possibly. Possibly. But God right now knows your name. And there's also a point where he, you know, like Simon, he said, you are Peter. Uh, God has a name over you. Because you are much loved by him.
He will contend for you. He will actually continue to reach out to you and say, I have come that you might have life. It doesn't help Chips if he believes in me. It helps Chips if he lets me work with him. Take the sponges out and put my hand inside. And so, God, our Father, we just uh, pray tonight for one another and we ask that tonight you will cause us to draw close to you and allow you to take anything in us that is getting in the way of your life. We just ask you to take it from us. And, and, you know, these things you don't have to search around for. I just want to encourage you with this. This is a lifelong process. But where God is usually working, we'll know exactly what it is. You will know exactly what it is right now. And the cool thing is, he's like a surgeon. He doesn't come to beat you up. He just says, will you give it to me? I had to give him my rebellion. I had to give him my lack of faith. I had to give him my disillusionment. I had to give him mistrust at some point because I was very angry with him for a long time. I don't know what it is uh, that you, you might have to. It might be you've just got neutral. You might have got numb. You might just be chugging along. People ask you how you are and you sort of smile and say, I'm fine, but you're actually dead. And God knows that and he just says, I, I long for you to have life. I want to restore life to you. And the way you receive his life is just say, Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. And I just ask you to continue to work in my heart and life that I might be alive to God. That I might know the Father as one who lives in me day by day. And that you will continue to work in me to, to bring me alive to be the man and the woman that you created me to be. Because we're all a work in progress. And thank Him. Thank Him for His life. Thank Him for His love. Thank Him for His forgiveness. Thank Him for His grace. Because the cool thing is, He says, you don't have to smarten up and then come to me. I'm coming to you so that I can help you smarten up. So, Father, we just bless whatever your word is saying to each of us this evening. We just ask your spirit to bring life into our spirits. And I pray that uh, we will hear your voice saying, You are my son, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. You are my daughter, in whom I delight, and in whom I'm well pleased. Receive my spirit, receive my strength, receive my love, receive my hope. Stay close to me. And see what happens. And Father, I just ask you very simply tonight to breathe your life into us. Come Holy Spirit. Make us alive. Full of the living God. Full of his hope and his, his joy, his presence. If you need healing tonight in your body, we ask God's Spirit to come upon that body. Just ask him. Lord, please heal my body tonight. We speak to pain. We speak to any physical conditions that are here that are not as God created. We speak healing into those bodies in the name of Jesus. And I break the curse of evil over sickness in this place in the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. We break sickness. We break inherited diseases. We break conditions that we've just learned to live with. And in the name of Jesus, we command them to go to the cross and we speak freedom and healing in the name of Jesus. We call up life in one another in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. May we live our lives, Father. Paul says that we were God's workmanship created to glorify Him, which means just to honor Him in the way we live. May we pursue that, that our lives would reflect who You are. Just as Chip sitting on my arm comes alive, we pray that we would be alive and bring glory to You and say, it's God living in me that gives me this life. So we bless Your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Sing one song as we go.